0: I know one of the things Pastor Kevin and I talked about this week is we were talking about uh, the home and moving and things like that. And and so I wonder if there's anybody out here being in a military community. I'm going to start small, so I expect to see a lot of hands. But how many of you have moved five times? Five times or more? Get those hands up in the air, right? Right now kevin down in lacy was good oh come on keep the hands up you guys got a little bit in you i know you do all right kevin down in lacy was gonna go to like seven and then nine i know with a military i'm just gonna make a big jump let's go ahead and just jump how many of you moved 10 times or more keep your hands up 10 times or more we still got seven eight hands up in the air okay do i dare say 12 times how many of you have moved 12 or more How about 15? I'm going to try to knock some people out here. 15 times or more. I'm looking. I still got one, two, two families represented. Okay, we're at 15. Do I go to 17? Do I lose you, Liz? Okay, I lost you. But I got, Tom, how many times have you guys moved? 18 times. How do we create a home here on earth that feels like a home when we're moving around so much? That was one of the things Kevin and I talked about this week. Now, I didn't move a lot. In high school, uh, I, I think I had been in two homes. And, and the first home I was in, I think my parents were building the home that we moved into. And so I think by the time I was two or three, I was in the home that I was basically in all the way till the time I moved to college. And then down in, at college, I met Gwen. We got engaged. We got married. We moved a couple of times down in Oregon. Then we moved back up here. Uh, once we've been back up here, we've moved, uh, I think, six or seven times total up here. So I think we've been in about 10 or so different homes. Uh, and, and now, but this last stint, we moved into DuPont 23 years ago, and we moved into our second home in DuPont, 20 years ago so we've been in our house now for 20 years and and it it does feel like home because we move in and and we make it our own and we decorate and and we 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 hide stuff deeper into closets because you get new stuff um and and it just gets buried and all of a sudden you go looking for something you can't find it and you go man we need to we need to purge we need to get stuff out of here um but it becomes home, and it feels like home, and, and, and that sort of thing. And and moves, though, for the military families that are here, I know that they, they can be really tough on kids. You know, some of you have moved, uh, and, and the kids have to change schools, and that can be hard on kids. It's it's hard on on the moms. You know, a lot of times the moms get groups of women that they love hanging out with, and then when they move, all of a sudden they're gone. Dads though too, I don't want to downplay it, um, and I know it's not always just the dads that are the military. So we we appreciate the service for both men and women. But a lot of times the men are like focusing on their jobs. It might be tough. It might be new, com- uh, you know, new commanders, new leaders. But you, you got you got kind of that in front of you. But you're still leaving behind your home. You're leaving behind your friends. Uh, it's probably even hard on the pets, moving them around. And yet, what I've heard over and over is is home is where the hard is, right? And for, for people that move a lot, that's something you gotta really focus in on and make your, your home where the heart is, not so much the physical building because you're moving all the time. And so you can get to the next place and set up relatively quickly. Because home is where the heart is, and and today I want to challenge you on that. I believe that I, I'm not here to say that that's not a good thought process or quote, but I want to challenge you. What we're going to be looking at today uh, to kind of tweak that just a little bit and say, make home where the Lord is. Make home where the Lord is. We're we're looking at First and Second Samuel, and we're going to see lessons from leaders. We're going to see both where the leadership has failed. And where you can do better. And also in their successes, we're going to see how we need to lead or live our lives and, and lead, right? In our own homes and in our work and all those things like that. So we're going to learn these lessons from leaders throughout first and second Samuel. And, and when we go home from here on a Sunday morning, my challenge is going to be that we want to be people who lead Throughout the week, our home, our spouses, and in our workplaces with the Lord still in the front and center of our mind. We come to church, it's easy to worship, it's easy to, to to enjoy the people who are around you, and then a lot of us go home and we just kind of put that in the back seat. We make it through the week however we can, and then we come back to church the next Sunday, And my challenge this morning is to, is to keep the Lord at the forefront of your mind and and make your home where the Lord is. The writer here uses, uh, some chiastic structure, uh, and we're going to highlight that just briefly, really quickly as we go into this section. And he's going to do that to contrast the two families. Last week we earned, or we learned a lot about Samuel his family, how they had prayed for him. And then, uh, of, of course, once he was born and weaned, he was brought to the temple. So we see Samuel and that family. That's what we looked at last week. But we, we kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of Eli and his sons, the priest that was there and his sons. And so we're going to compare two different families. So up here on the screen, we see a comparison. Whoa, Vanessa, I almost knocked over your Your uh, lyrics are, sorry about that. We see a comparison of the two families in this ABAB structure. We see first Samuel ministers, and then we see that Eli and his sons, who should have been ministering, they don't minister. Then we're going to pop over and we're going to see Samuel finds favor with the people, right? And, And yet you see right there in the same story that Eli's house is criticized by the people. Then we're going to see uh, this concept, this idea of a new priest that will serve forever. And then at the end of the story here, we're going to see Eli's house will end. And and that's not the way it should have been. Eli's family and, and the continuation of that should have continued to serve the Lord for the Israelites. And then at the end, we'll see it end where it began, which was Samuel ministering. And so my, my challenge today for you guys is to make our home where the Lord is. So let's look back to uh the, the last verse we covered last week. That's where we're gonna we're gonna start here and uh and then we'll we'll make our way through this chat the rest of this chapter. Starting in verse eleven, then Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. As I talked about a little bit earlier, we met this family, Elkanah. He had two wives, which was a no-no. He loved his first wife a ton, Hannah. It was his favorite wife. He loved her, but she was barren. And so instead of trusting in God, he got to the place where a lot of people did back in this time, where he, he took it into his own hands and he married somebody else so that he would have... Uh, a, a legacy, that he would have a, a heritage, that he would be able to pass on his name and his possessions to his own family. And so panina had children. And so then panina and Hannah were at odds with each other because panina would make Hannah feel bad for not having children. Now, Hannah would go to the, the temple yearly with Elkanah and Panina and the rest of the family to worship the Lord. And she would pray every year that the Lord would provide her a child, that the Lord would provide her a son. And she promised God that if he did so, that she would give him up for service to the Lord for his entire life. If you allow me to have a son, I will give him up to service to you in the temple. And she had just delivered a very young boy to Eli the priest to minister in God's service. That's where we find ourselves here in verse 11. Now, when I was, when I was reading this, this week and and kind of meditating on it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of when Gwen and I delivered Noah to the, the Air Force Academy. Right? We had, we had raised our son. He had, he had worked hard and he got himself accepted to the Air Force Academy. And then we had to drive him down there to Colorado and drop him off. And, and we were in a tent and the person in charge came out and basically said, you have 60 seconds with your child and then we're taking them from you. And, and at that point, after that minute, he called all the cadets to, to the front and they left. And there were a lot of us parents standing around going, what do we do now? Like, it didn't matter what we had heard or what we had read. There was nothing that prepared us for that. Our child was gone, right? And no cell phones. I know in a day and age where we can, I can tell you right now where, you know, my kids are and all those kind of things. To have no connection to him during those first few months while well, they went through boot camp and all their training and and after 45 days he was able to to FaceTime us they got their phone backs for for a, a one day uh and then they then they went back silent again and for us to not have that connection to our son was crazy right but but the technology's there and and it only lasted for a while and then he got into school and we were able to to talk to him but here they were dropping off their son at the, at a very young age. Noah was 18. He was a young man ready to go. And, and yet Samuel was only three, maybe four years old, and he was being dropped off at the temple. Not the temple in their town, but the temple that they traveled to to worship at. And, and they, they dropped off their son. But we know last week from Hannah's, her prayer and her testimony, she was a woman of prayer. And I know that even at three and four, she was raising her son Samuel to serve the Lord, to know the Lord. And we're going to see that. It's going to be apparent throughout this story. So I'm sure their trip home was filled with tears and and prayers and and probably maybe even a little regret or uh, in a healthy way or, or just even like the memories that they had already like ours was after dropping Noah off and yet they were dropping him off for the rest of his life to live in the temple. So we see here our holy family obeying God. And, and and there was sacrifice and there was worship. And, and Samuel had learned from that even at a young age. And look what it says here in verse 11. It says that Samuel ministers to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So often, parents who worship and serve have children who worship and serve. And, and I've been blessed over the last 10 plus years to be really a part of a serving church. The the heritage over these last 10 years that you guys are inheriting, if you're coming here, is a church that serves. And, and some of that is easy. Sunday morning, we got to set this place up, right? So there are people that show up here on Sunday morning and set up. And then afterwards, we tear it down. We got to tear the whole place down and pack it into the trailer and drive it back, right? So there's, there's a serving opportunity that is a physical, tangible way to serve. But then there's also Sunday school right and, and 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 a lot of you have helped out in children's ministry and we appreciate that and we need more people that are willing to say hey i've been here for a few months now i could help out right that's an area that i could volunteer to serve in once in a while um because it doesn't get done we want to have a lot of kids look around you the place goes from almost full to like Uh, maybe a little over half full still once all the kids are gone. We have a lot of kids here and we are grateful for that, but we need people who minister and serve in that. And then there's other ways to serve, the hospitality, greeting, security, all the things that go on behind the scenes. And, And so there's opportunities to serve. And every time we've had to make a plea for help, which might be coming in the next few weeks as we continue to grow. But if a plea like that comes, we are always just blessed by the amount of people that say, yeah, I could step up and do something to help out. And we appreciate that. And, and, and so often I see these parents who come and worship and serve with their children. I've seen then 10 years ago, right? Some of these kids who were in middle school and high school are still now today serving. They're, they're going to church through call their college years. They're serving on campuses and and then they're leaving there. And some of them have been getting married and, and they're taking their kids to church or their new families, kids, spouses. They're going to church. They're serving. They're looking for opportunity. They saw their parents serve. They saw their parents worship. And that was passed down. I love standing in the back worshiping uh, on Sunday mornings and seeing you guys worship with your children. That is a blessing to me. I love, uh, and again, I'm not saying you have to have expression in worship, but I love seeing, let's say, a mom raise her hand in worship and, and her young child doing the same modeling behavior of worship, modeling behavior of serving. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's what Hannah did. So when Samuel got to the temple, even at a very young age, he knew nothing but to be a servant. And it's such a beautiful part of the story. I just don't want you to miss that because i truly believe now we all uh, know the stories and have experienced our children wandering from the lord and coming back hopefully we pray for them it can be painful all those things but if we model the display uh, and display that behavior there's a chance that they will continue on it's not it's 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 one of those things it's not a mathematical formula because it doesn't always prove to be true, but but it is a great principle to live by. So I want to encourage you to continue on in your worshiping and in your serving. Elkanah and Hannah raised their boy from that early age to be get dedicated to the Lord. And, and, and this is a reason that here at the Grace Works, we love child dedications. Uh, and so if you're newer to the Grace Works and maybe you have a young child and you haven't dedicated them to the Lord, it's different than Baptism. We believe that baptism is done by someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what the age. But one of the first steps of baptism is to say, hey, I want you to know that I'm identifying myself with Jesus Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's baptism. We see that in scripture. We do that here at the grace works and it's an opportunity for a believer to do that. A child dedication is different no matter what the age, typically it's a newborn, but I've dedicated children all the way up to three or four years. And basically what you're saying there is that I want to dedicate my child to the Lord. I want you as a church family to come around and say, we will help you raise these children in the Lord. And, and we're going to pray not only as a church, but in our community groups and, of course, you individually, that the Lord grabs a hold of their hearts early and that they follow the Lord. Child dedications are a beautiful thing. Are they necessary? No. But it's, some, it's a time where we as a church body can say, we will commit to praying for your child and we will lead by example as these children grow. What a great thing right? Child dedications. We love seeing children in the church. One of the things I tell families when they first come to the Grace Works, if they have kids and they're not necessarily sure they want to go to the nursery or preschool or the kids ministry yet, It's fine. We don't mind crying. We don't mind kids running around. We don't mind them getting up during the church service. If you need to be in the back, there's plenty of room. That's why we do those things. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother Dave. Obviously, we want to provide an environment of worship, but we understand things. So if your baby cries... I feel like crying too sometimes, right? I mean, it happens. And we're not worked up or worried about that. We want this to be a place where families feel that they can come and worship together. There are some days your child may not feel like going to to kids ministry and they need to stay in here. If they're restless, making a little noise, it's okay. We are okay with that. We love children. We want children to see what it looks like to worship and serve. So El. Uh, Elkanah and, and Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. They modeled the worship, sacrifice, uh, all the things that went along with it. And now Samuel, even at this young age, look at this. He's setting an example for us, for all of us in this text. Everyone who's read 1 Samuel since it was written has been encouraged by what this four-year-old child did. But in contrast to Samuel, we have this story. Starting in verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when a man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let me first burn the fat and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now you don't have to know all the intricacies of sacrifices to understand how bad of a situation this was. The priests ate the meat that came as a sacrifice to the Lord after it was offered to God. The fat... The, it would burn. It would, it would all the incense of the of the smell of the offering would all go to heaven. Everything. Then the priests would eat. And here we see these worthless men, as described here by the author. The literal translation is "son of Belial" or "son of Satan." Right now, remember, there's an ironic twist here in the story. Last week we had. Uh, uh, Eli asking Hannah if she was drunk. Do you remember that? And Hannah says, don't think of me as a worthless person. As a worthless woman. Right? She's using the same word too. As a daughter of Belial or a daughter of Satan or a worthless person. She's saying, don't think of me that way, Eli. I'm praying to God. I'm sober. She said, I haven't even had a drink today. Right? I mean, that's what she said. And here we see the author comparing these sons to what the concern was of Hannah. So Hannah wasn't worthless, and here we see that these sons were. I think the most damning evidence here is the second thing in that sentence up there. It it said, they did not know the Lord. So here we had two sons who were priests under Eli, and they did not know the Lord. One of Jesus' most chilling prophecies is found in Matthew 7. If you're taking notes, just jot down Matthew 7. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, um, but you could go check it out later this week. In, In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about the judgment at the great white throne. And in verse 22, it says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some have mistaken, they've tried to to tie this passage to a works-based salvation, and, and that's not what I see here. Instead, it points to salvation based on a relationship, right? When we talk about salvation, we talk about a relationship with God. The good works that we are called to are after salvation. Your salvation is not secured by your works. It's, it's all Jesus, it's the cross, it's the tomb, and it's the resurrection, right? And it's his willingness to be the sacrifice that we needed, that we could never be for ourselves. And so it's a relationship with God. He needs to know you, and you need to know him. Phineas and Hophni did not know the Lord. And we see that right here in First Samuel in these verses, and that would have been obvious to an Israelite who was familiar with with God and knew what the priests were supposed to do: right, sacrifice the the, the offering and then take. And here we see them doing it completely different. First, they would ask, hey, why don't you go ahead and give us some raw meat? Give us meat. We'll take it to the priests. And and if the Israelites said, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I, I need to boil this first. I need to offer this first. Then you can have it. They would threaten, their servant would threaten to take it by force. I mean, when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my goodness, these guys are, are the priests and look at what they're doing. This sacrifice was supposed to be for God himself, and they were literally robbing God to fill their stomachs. Then here in verses 15 and 16, we hear more about, like I said, that servant who said, if you won't give it to me, I'm going to take it. So they're not only robbing God of the sacrifice, but they're literally robbing people. Verse 17 states it plainly, their sin was great in the sight of the Lord. So again, we're going between Samuel and Eli's sons here, back and forth. And and from this sacrilege and contempt of the Lord, we go back to Samuel's family who are devoted and sincere in their relationship with the Lord. And look what it says here in verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. One commentator said, if there's a key phrase in Samuel's life, a key phrase in Samuel's life, it seems to be that he was before the Lord. So I, I locked that in when I read that this week, and I'm like, I gotta share that with these with my people, but I, I gotta encourage them to lock that in their brain. Because if we're continually before the Lord, our life is gonna reflect beautiful things. Right? And that's what we see here with Samuel. What a statement, what a goal. Right? If there's something that's gonna be said about me when I'm dead and gone. Man, I hope my testimony would be that, right? Would people say of Mark Miller, would they say Mark's life was all about his relationship with Jesus and how that affected everything that he did here on earth? His relationship with Gwen, his relationship with the kids, his relationship with his friends, his relationship with his church, his community, everything. Is my life mirroring a relationship that, that just desires to be in the presence of God? That's my prayer. Do I fail? Of course I do. But man alive, that's what I'm striving for. And I pray that that would be yours also. We should definitely take a minute here to, to picture this little, this little priest though. I don't know how many of you like the toddlers. If you have toddlers in the toddler stage, it may be frustrating to think about how adorable, right, a little three or four or five year old is. But here, check this out. Hannah would make a little robe for him every year. Every year they came up to the same temple to, 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 to offer sacrifices, to worship. And Hannah would bring this little guy a little priestly robe that she had made, right? It says here that it would be unique in that day to see a boy clothed with a linen ephod, but that's what it was. It's kind of like, for some of you soldiers, I've been, like I said, I've been in DuPont for 23 years, and we've opened our door thousands of times at Halloween to give candy, right? Right? And, and how cute is it to see the little soldier dressed up because he wants to be like mom or he wants to be like dad, right? Those are so adorable. Or maybe it's a little police officer, right? Wants to be like, like the policemen that serve in our community or firefighter or whatever it might be. And, and, and I kind of was thinking about that, right? Like, here's this little guy who's serving the Lord, he's doing what he's supposed to do, and and mom every year carefully makes this robe and and brings it to him. What a special thing. This also, though, not only was cued on him probably, but it signified what he was, which was a servant of the Lord. There wasn't just a kid running around the temple. When he got there, he started serving. He was part of the ministry of the temple even at that young age. He was serving. He was working for his God, or for God. And his family who had mirrored service, who had mirrored worship, right, were part of that by bringing him this robe. They would make this little robe and take it to him each year. Our kids grow quick. You know that if you didn't have a new robe, it would be getting short real quick. So, I mean, it was a necessary thing. But what a special thing to be recorded in scripture of what Hannah did. Not only dropped off her firstborn, uh, but then watched after him too. This was a yearly thing. Every time that they would go and sacrifice and worship at the temple. God's blessing was upon that family for their faithfulness. Let's look at what it says here in verse 23. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three more sons or three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. God is faithful to this faithful couple. Eli prayed for this family that God would continue to bless them. And here we have these five additional children. God, again, blessing beyond what they could have ever asked for or imagined. And that's what we see. And then, of course, the end of this verse, the, 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 the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. He grew in the presence of the Lord. He was growing physically. Mom was bringing rope, but he was also growing in the knowledge of his God. He was getting closer to God, his heavenly father. And even though he was apart from his parents, what they had instilled in him at a young age continued to grow. And we see God's grace and his faithfulness to this family. We see that through what Samuel was able to accomplish, but also the rest of the growth in the family, the the children that they gave them. Now, maybe you feel like you've messed up in many ways raising your kids, right? Again, we're not saying that Hannah and Elkanah were perfect, but, but they were striving Maybe you feel like you've missed out on your opportunities to raise your kids in the presence of the Lord. Maybe they're already grown and gone or they're at the age where it's harder to get them to come to church. Well, God isn't done with you yet. You can still have an impact on your growing and young adult kids. You can have a godly impact on your grandkids. You can mentor or teach or train up children here in the church to love Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not married. You know, I don't have kids. I, I," you have an opportunity to invest in that next generation here at the church. Don't spend your time living in regret of wasted years. Ask God what he wants from you. Even today, starting now for the years ahead of you, as long as you're here and he'll let you know. Verse 23, now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's 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 no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for them? Now we see here that Eli is getting old and, 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 and that's just part of the story and, and the, the aging of him. And, and yet we also, in light of what we've been talking about in these last few verses, we see a dad who might be a little bit too late trying to train up his sons, these adult sons who are now priests, and they're doing it all wrong. And and what's disturbing here is we read first about the sacrifices, right? And and the way that they were stealing from God. And yet, as we continue to read, it just gets worse. It doesn't get any better. Now we see the evidences of a, a sexual scandal going on, what they have going on here. It says the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting, that they were that they were having relations with them. these are women there to serve and the priests were taking advantage of them. So they were defiling women who were supposed to be serving God. And we know that this was adultery for at least one of the sons because I think it was Hopney, we know is married later in, in chapter 4 verse 19, we know that he's married. Right, So we have adultery. We have, we have abuse of their authority of who they were over these women who were serving. And then that they flaunted their sin. Everybody knew about it. When I read that the first time this week, I mean, I've read the, the book before. But this week when I was reading that, it just jumped out to me how Eli is so concerned because all of the people are talking about it. This wasn't something they were trying to hide. They were abusing their situation. And, and with those facts there, we see kind of in verse 25, it pictures a, a courtroom setting. And what Eli says is if somebody sins against man, God will mediate for him. In other words, what God has laid out as laws will come into play if one man has a transgression against another. Right? And God will mediate and we can take care of those things. Right? They had judges in those days and the priests. Uh, there was no king yet, but this is the way things were taken care of. But he, then look what he says ne- next, though. He says to them, but what if someone sins against the Lord? There's nobody who can intercede for that. Hopney and Phineas, what you're doing is incredibly sinful. What are we supposed to do about that? God is just, right? No man can save us from the justice of the Lord. And you are sinning in just massive ways against God. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And although I wanted to see this tiny window of hope for, for Eli, as he tried to father these adult sons and he confronted them, we'll, we'll learn later on in in chapter 13, that really Eli was only complaining to them, right? He didn't really try to restrain them or stop them from it. Plus they didn't listen. We find that out here in the scriptures. Like so many others, they had hardened their own hearts for so long. So God is determined to judge them. And justice is one of God's many characteristics that we know about. And he always judges fairly. So at this point, it is his will to put them to death. We see that there in verse 24. Contrast that with Samuel in verse 26 faithful Samuel. He's not only growing in stature, but he's also growing in favor with the Lord and also with man. So here we have these priests who the, the people, the children of Israel, the people that are around them know what they're doing, that they're stealing sacrifices, that they're having these unlawful sexual relations with women. And and yet Samuel is growing in favor with not only the Lord, but also with man. So we see a godly reputation contrasted with this sinful reputation. The last verses we're going to read here is a prophecy uh, from an unknown man of God against Eli's entire family. So we're going to read through it and then we'll kind of take a look at that at the end. Starting in verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to that your house of your father all my offerings by fire, from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling. And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord the God of Israel declares. I promise that your house and that the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. Forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. So that there will be well, there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart, and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And shall say, please put me in one of the priest's place that I might eat a morsel of bread. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Again, we see this contrast back and forth, back and forth. And and in this prophecy, we see some pretty harsh stuff coming for all of Eli's family. Eli's sin was egregious and and he is part of the tribe of Levi, which was the one that should serve the Lord forever as priest. But this wasn't going to work for God. Here we see Eli's line is done. His son's sin and his lack of willingness to take responsibility for that God was gonna raise up someone new. God was gonna raise up and and, and bless someone who was faithful. The irony of this is that Phineas was named after one of his ancestors in the house of Aaron. So we know that Aaron was the first priest there, and yet he couldn't be more unlike his namesake. We had talked about the sin of stealing from God and and then the the, the sexual sin. But if you go back to Numbers 25 um, and look at the story there, while Moses was leading the people in the wilderness, the nation of Moab hatched a plan to bring judgment on Israel. And, And the women of Moab... Moab went in and seduced the men of Israel and then invited them to share in their idolatry, right? And they're like, their God will judge them for this, okay? So that's the story in Numbers 25. And, And God sends a plague onto his own people because of the sin that they were committing with the Moabite women, right? And Phineas lived back then. This is, again, a few generations before God sent this plague and then told Moses to execute the ringleaders. But even as the people uh, of Israel, the children of Israel, were weeping for their sin, a man brought a Moabite woman into the camp. And and the first Phinehas, not the Phinehas we've been talking about, but the first Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, followed them into their tent and thrust a spear through them both because of the egregious sin before God, And at that moment I know it's a, a violent story, but at that moment, in numbers 25, it says, "The plague stopped. Sin is not something to be trifled with. And yet Phineas here, the name given to one of the sons of Eli, uh, it, it couldn't be further from his uh, ancestor, Phineas, who took sin very seriously. This Phineas was a villain rather than a hero. The first one was very zealous for God. He loved God and he wanted what was best for Israel and he knew that was not allowing people to sin. The second Phineas treated God with contempt. First Samuel 2.17 and he initiates all kinds of sin. Fornication, theft from God. As a result, God promises that his branch of the house of Aaron is going to come to an end, which was not the original plan. This will happen, uh, and it's going to happen, and Hopney and Phinehas will die, which, uh, as we will see, is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 4, so we're a couple weeks out from that. In her song, Hannah sang, those Who were full hire themselves out for food. We go back to Hannah's song uh, in in early chapter 2, and there's a prophecy about what was going to happen here. Eli's family was full, but now they will have to hire themselves out for food. We see that at the end of the prophecy there. Then everyone left in your family, this is the prophecy. Uh, family line will come and bow before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead anoint me to some priestly office so that I might have some food their judgment for stealing the bread of the Lord is to be forced to end up having to beg so we see God's judgment coming to this family contrasted with Samuel and is continuing to live for the Lord Make your home where the Lord is. Like Hannah, raise your children in a place where they know God. And that they desire to follow God and serve God and worship God. And things will go well for you. We can be those sorts of parents. We can raise our kids in the Lord. We can raise them to honor God, to worship God. God, to serve God, and they need to see that in our example. So make your home where the Lord is.